0: I'm happy to say that speaking is a skill that anyone can learn. Yes, even you. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. My name is Kat Matson, and welcome to Speaking with Confidence. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Speaking with Confidence with Kat Matson. Yes, of course, I am Kat. And the speaking with confidence podcasts have evolved over the last couple of years. And in this podcast, just like the last few, I have been talking to interesting people who are making a significant impact in their world. And speaking is a key way that they do that. And as regular listeners would know, I'm a massive fan of working out loud. So, My theory is with these conversations is that you get to listen in on a conversation between peers where I'm pulling out, where I'm extracting, how does speaking work? How do you use speaking in your workplace context? So that's why these conversations have shifted from just me having an old monologue into more of a dialogue. Before I get into this week's interview though, how are you? How's your day going? How's your week? Are you kicking the goals that you want to be kicking? I really hope that you are. Now, today's episode is all about those conversations that matter in the workplace. My guest is Louise Davis from Louise Davis Consulting, and in particular, I was drawn to bring Louise into this conversation for two key reasons. One, because she talks a lot about speaking human, and the second, because she is an absolute expert in having difficult conversations. So I can't think of a better conversation to have from a speaking with confidence perspective than having a conversation with Louise. So it's a juicy conversation. We, we went for a bit, but it's well worth the listen. So sit back, enjoy, take all of the notes that you want and... Um, Yeah, I'd love to know what you think. So head over to the Speaking with Confidence Facebook group when you finish listening to let us know your thoughts about speaking human. Louise Davis, welcome to the Speaking with Confidence podcast. It is so cool to have you here. I've got to say, it's very cool to have you here.
1: Well, I am delighted. What an opportunity just to, you know, be here and have a chat with you and your audience.
0: Delightful. Delightful. Thank you. Let's see how delightful it stays for the next 20 minutes or so. (laughs) Um, Now, I briefly introduced you before I brought you on, but it's always much better, always much better to hear Mm. it direct from the horse's mouth. So tell us a little bit about what you do or tell us a lot, actually, about what you do and the impact that you're striving to lead in your world sure thank you i um so i am based in
1: melbourne and i uh, essentially what i do is i work with hr and business leaders in organizations of around 200 or more employees and my focus is to help them retain their valuable employees and so the way i go about that is i um, develop their frontline managers with people skills to uh, lead adaptable, buoyant and engaged teams in six months or less. And uh, effectively, I do that through my um, frontline manager to leader program, and my mastering difficult conversations workshop. So that's, that's sort of it in a nutshell. Um, And I think if you know, you, you ask the question, what's the impact that I'm that I'm looking to make. And I think if I was to sort of zone in on what I've shared it's really how to help leaders uh, humanize the conversations that they have with their teams just Mm -hmm. you know like let's just do that a bit more often that's that's the impact yeah
0: I'm going to come back to humanize the conversations but before I do that I want to Mm -hmm. unpick a very very specific word that I heard you use there around buoyant teams mm, yeah. that is juicy as mm. tell me more what what does buoyant mean and why is buoyant so important in team yeah. development
1: yeah well you know in actual fact that word sort of uh sort of came to me during uh, uh just post COVID actually and I was um working with a client and he had his regional managers coming together for the first time out of uh out of COVID out of two years here in Melbourne and they were just feeling incredibly flat and grounded and uh, not grounded, but, you know, like mm. just like deflated, Flattened. you know, and it's like, oh. and, you know, the thing around being deflated and and looking in terms of, and he, and he really didn't want to go down the sort of, I want them to be resilient because it had just been overcooked at the time, you know, so, uh, and, you know, just a bit like pivoting. Everyone was pivoting and being <laughs> resilient. And I was like, oh. So that's where the word buoyant sort of, it just, it was something that I uh, resonated with Mm -hmm. and it was really around how do you have that sense of, um, uh, you know, your head above the water and being able to sort of move in a direction as well. And, you know, so that as a leader, you're taking people with you as well because they're looking for that, um, that uplift, that moving along. So that's buoyant, buoyant is, yeah, that's, it works for me.
0: Yeah. It's, it's such a powerful word because mm. I, I get such a, I get the sense of all of what you just said when mm. you say that word. And mm. I, I love that it was in deflection of the mm. word resilient. I yeah. some, I did a, I did a health assessment yesterday, actually, as part of my health fund, you know, you earn more yeah. points, the more quizzes you fill out. And because I answered a four out of a five on one question, it said, oh, you need to work on re- your resilience. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. Thank you. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I mean, I get resilience and I think, you know, I, I understand. One of the things that um, I get a little sort of bothered by is that it's often used in that context of bouncing back. And, mm-hmm. and you, you, you can't bounce back. <laughs> you can only bounce forward. Uh, and so that's. <laughs> I've, I'm kinda like, I've actually I, never thought of that. I, I, I get a so literal. I get literal on that sort of stuff, and it's like you, you know, I, I can't go back to how things were. I've got to go. I've got to go forward. So, how am I going to take myself forward in that sense? Yes. So.
0: Hmm. Gosh, I, I actually love that. I'm, oh, I'm 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 taking that. I'm yeah, popping that in my yeah, pocket. I might use that yeah, somewhere else. Yeah. I really like it. I know, I know. So now that we've played word games with yeah. the word buoyant and the word yeah. resilient, yeah. tell us more about this whole humanizing the conversation. And you know, because I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you talk mm. about speaking mm. human. Mm. I'm always talking to my clients about being authentic and using their own voice and using their own words. But what do you mean when you talk about humanising the conversation?
1: Yeah. So I, th- there's a couple of th- things that sort of have pulled me into that um, that piece around speaking human and, and I talk about it in terms of having a speaking human strategy in, in leadership. Uh, I think the, the the essence of it came from years of, Working in in large organisations, corporates, you know, as a as a an engaged facilitator consultant, and just watching the number of people who would come through the foyer into this, you know, ivory tower in, in Sydney when I was living there at the time, and just it was almost it was almost like they'd sort of you'd see them through the glass, you know, doors before they were coming in, like da 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 da, and then they'd walk through the doors, and it was like, and it was like this sort of robotic type of. Just a, a loss of the humanness of them, and they were sort of going through their you know, through the motions, and then people would leave at five and then they'd connect back into their life, you know sort of like the heart had start pumping again it was was it was pumping, but it wasn't necessarily you know like on you know like going crazy during the day and and when I was working with uh leaders in in these training programs, it was there was this sort of resistance around how they would connect with their teams. And I'm like, you know, dudes, it's, where's your speaking human mojo? Like, I mean, if you are talking to your family at home and you're having those caring, curious conversations, like what's on your radar or what, what's up your nose, you know, why are you so frustrated or what's the mood you're in? W- wouldn't wouldn't the same sort of thing apply when you're working with teams for eight hours a day uh, that was where I was coming from and so it just it was they were feeling stuck around this and you know the, there was there was that part the, the other part I think that goes back further was um, when I was an exchange student when I left um, school and I was in the States for a year I'd actually wanted to go to a country where I could learn another language because I'd been learning Italian at school and I thought oh that'd be good anyway I ended up in the US uh, so well,
0: they don't I didn't speak much Italian.
1: No, they don't speak much Italian either, but I, I did I did learn different culture, you know, in that sense. Uh, and what, what was really unique about where I was, I was in, uh, I was in Ohio. I was in a tri-county area up uh, by Lake Erie, and there were 24 other exchange students in the same organization in high schools across, uh, you know, that tri-county area. And we would come together. Um, there were four times that we came together over the year. And I can remember the first one thinking, oh, it's a bit weird, we're, you know, all together, language barriers, you know, all that sort of stuff, uh, not really connecting. But as the year went on, we, there was like this connection because we were all different cultures, different religious backgrounds, cultural, all that sort of stuff. But the human aspect was consistent where we went through the homesickness, the awkwardness, the language stuff, and just the cohort that we became uh, and still continue to keep in contact decades later was one that sort of went, you know what, we're all different, but actually we're all the same and that's where the human part comes in. Um, And so that sort of was, um, you know, those two key things were in there and and that's where the the strategy around speaking human comes uh, in and the way I talk about it with leaders Is it's around if you know, because people go, I don't have time to lead, and I kind of go, Yeah, you know, I get everyone's time poor, but it also is code for me around that they don't necessarily know how to lead. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, and particularly frontline, you know, managers, leaders are often they get the least amount of development more than you know, like uh, from a general manager executive level where there's more funds, and so that's where I've got, um human is actually an acronym for five behaviors that I invite um, managers to take on board if they choose, you know, so that's, um, that's, that's where it's coming from. So
0: how would you feel about sharing that? I, I'd, be,
1: I'd, I'd be happy to share the acronym oh, please, um, please, because I just think, you know, this whole thing around humanizing conversations, but being human in your leadership as well. Uh, and so, um, H is what uh, So it's effectively, what I say is, what your if to leaders, what your managers, or what sorry, what your people are looking for, uh, effectively, these five things. But equally, it's uh, what all of us are wanting in in our work and in our lives. And uh, and so H stands for that um, being heard. U stands for being understood.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: M stands for being motivated and understanding what drives uh, your team members. A stands for appreciation, so quite simply, just acknowledging and thanking people for what they do, and then N stands for being noticed and being able to give that feedback to people uh, in terms of their their contribution or how they can continue to improve. And so, being you know having that human. Uh, Acronym and just being able to focus on those five things is not necessarily anything above above and beyond what you're doing. Uh, And and you know it's interesting because I was I was I ran a workshop um, for leaders uh, for for a client a couple of weeks ago, and there were 70 managers that were there. Their senior leadership team was there. Two of the directors were there, and you know, one of the things that they were sort of pushing, sort of back on, and saying, "Yeah, well, you know, I don't really, um, I don't have conversations with my my team members. You know, they can come to me if they need to speak. You know, like it's, it, I'm I'm available for them in that sense. And and this client is no different from a lot of clients that mm-hmm. I talk to, which is managers I get they're flat out, they're um, they're being pushed, you know, from you know all over the place to to, to make things happen." Uh, and a lot of stuff is they're not given context around, so they're yeah. just they're doing the very best that they possibly can. But the conversation part with their team members is like that's the gold. That's yeah. the that's the gold that that makes life easier. But at, you know they come with that whole part of I don't have time, and I'm like,
0: well. I'll, and I love that human acronym because mm-hmm. it actually makes it really easy to have the time because you realize that if that's what it is like if you using that acronym if you can Mm. just speak human if you Mm. can have your team be heard be understood be motivated be appreciated and be noticed over the course like those conversations can be five minutes that that's not a bit that they're not big conversations that's not a big sit down with every one of your team every week that's walking the floor
1: yeah, that's that's, picking that's up the phone. I don't have to make time for that. It's just that is part of my time, you know, in my yeah. conversations. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's so cool. Anyway,
1: that's what juices me. I get excited about that. So I can yeah. tell, I love that. Yeah. yeah,
0: tell me, um, before I move into difficult conversations, which is mm-hmm. obviously another one of your um strong suits, why you, you talked about that notion of you know, people kind of. Dance up to the glass doors, being human being <laughs> themselves, and then they walk through, and all of a sudden they're in corporate land yeah what, what what is it about that? Why do we do that? Why do we feel like we have to leave our personalities at the door still
1: yeah
0: I, I don't know I mean I, and maybe I'm being a little unfair at one level because there there
1: are people who love the work that they do and i and I totally get that, but then you you know you hear people kind of go've oh, got, oh, got to go in, you know. Um and, and part of that has changed naturally with COVID where there's mm. more hybrid stuff that happens. Um I, I just I think for me it's around, you know, in answer to your question, the why is around that sense of purpose. So why mm. why why am I going? What am I doing? What am I getting out of this? Uh, am I just going through the rounds, you know. So it keeps coming back to um the conversations that that managers have with their team members. Um, and this was, used to, oh, this was used to, you know, make me um, giggle a, a little bit. Uh, so during the, the COVID, t- I can't remember during COVID, but it was where there was that whole period of, right, people are leaving. We need to have stay conversations. And 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 I thought, great, you know, but why? This can't clearly can't be new. But it was a sort of it seemed new on the on the sort of as a topic to talk about. And, and language changes, you know, mm-hmm. in corporate speak and consulting and all that sort of stuff but my sense was that if people are having stay conversations it means that they're not having them during the during the you know like as part of their regular one-on-one conversations which is you know for me that's a values piece which is you know if if I'm going to have a conversation with a team member so so tell me why what makes you stay what what are you loving about your work at the moment what do we need to change what can I what am I doing that's getting in the way or what can we what can we do differently, yeah. and just keep having that dialogue? so the stay conversation isn't actually one that you have <laughs> as such it's a minute before they resign yeah, that one yeah yeah that one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. One. yeah. 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 So,
0: <laughs> I also think, um, and this goes back to a conversation that I literally had this morning with a coaching client mm-hmm. that we tell ourselves that in different contexts we have to put on different um. I'm going to say a different verbal uniform because that's mm. what I was talking about with the client, you know, but when, when we think we're standing up at a formal event, then we do formal mm. talker. And when mm. we walk into those ivory towers, we do professional ivory tower worker. And may, maybe one of the things that's happened as we've moved into a hybrid working environment is because we are, doing this kind of conversation more often like an online Mm. conversation Mm. we're at home with we don't have shoes on Mm. um you know maybe or or Ugg
1: boots in melbourne so yes yes (laughs) yes (laughs) anytime maybe
0: maybe there's a slight relaxation maybe there is a little bit more of that human connection but it is funny how our environments kind of say oh no in this place this is how you speak
1: yeah 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 i think so and that that can also be the cultural Piece. Mm-hmm. And and I would hope that that has eased more. So,
0: he's Give hoping.
1: Him, yeah, yeah.
0: So you were talking about stay conversations, but there's also those difficult conversations, whether mm-hmm. it's a performance conversation, whether it's just an awkward conversation, redundancy conversation. Actually, let, let no, we'll leave redundancy conversations mm-hmm. for another mm-hmm. time. They can be difficult. Yeah. It, they can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or in some cases they can be, thank goodness about time. I mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Tell me what the deal is and I'll see you mm-hmm. later. Bye. Yeah. But difficult conversations. You talk a lot about this, and I would mm. I would argue that in my network, you are one of the leaders in managing and facilitating and teaching people how to have difficult conversations. I know why we don't want to have them. What are the key ingredients of an effective, difficult conversation?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think uh, that for me, just to, to answer that, that question straight off the bat, is, um, it's about being... Curious, hmm. uh, and the reality is that what often happens with difficult conversations is that one of the reasons they're difficult is because they've been the initial issue has been ignored, and um, so and fisted. so it just it, it blows out. So it's a bit. This is, I mean, this is where I talk to people, um, you know, about about splinters and does connect in with difficult conversations but you know if I said to you Kay if you get a splinter in your in your hand and and you and you can feel it and see it what 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 do you automatically do what's your instinct
0: I I find the tweezers and I get it out yeah
1: because you know uh, me too uh and what I find interesting though is where it's like people don't you and I won't go and I'm sure all your listeners won't go oh look there's a splinter let me leave that for a while and I'll get on with my life. You know, I'll come back to that maybe. Actually, oh, look, it's just, it's a little bit more red and it's a little bit more infected now. And, and um, no, no, I'll just leave it, you know. And, and people don't think like that. They don't wait for it to be, you know, um, so inflamed that you've got, you know, um, you, you might need to actually now engage the doctor type of thing. Uh, but what I find curious is that it's that same thinking, though, that goes on in business around conversations. And, and I talk about in, in conversation, it can happen in personal relationships, all that sort of stuff, but mm. I'm in the, the business piece. Uh, and I think that that's where it's people put off um, having the conversation and it becomes more around the story that they're telling themselves around why the short-term benefit is to ignore it, um, but the long-term, you know, is the dysfunction, that goes on so you know the, the the thing about this is that people aim for having functional relationships but as soon as there's dysfunction they are um that they're, they're stuck because there's a fear that's going on that often they consciously know or they're they're you know unconsciously you know they're ignoring and it can be those things around um damaging relationships uh that they um they dread the pushback so what what will someone say and will I be prepared what if it gets emotional because that's not that's not my strength my my strong spot uh and um and what if what if it goes completely pear-shaped what if I make it worse what if it's a career-limiting conversation what will other people start talking about you know so there's all of that that blows out and people go shut that down (laughs) you know and and you know, the, the thing about it is, is that, um, and here's the interesting thing around the difficult conversation. So the more I sort of went into it, and the reason why it became more of a an, uh, an, an area of interest for me is that in all the leadership topics that I facilitate, and I work with managers, and they would... The number one request was always around how do I do how do I do a difficult conversation, and I'm like, well, hang on, let's get some of the foundations down first because if you've got the foundations, then you won't have them. But they're like, no, 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 give me the, and I'm like, okay, all right, you know, let's let's do that. So it sort of work it in reverse. Mm-hmm. But the thing that comes out of that, which has been interesting statistics, um, is that, and this comes through a U.S. company called Vital Smarts, and um, and their research was that. Um, up to 70% of people in the workplace are avoiding having difficult conversations because of their fear of confrontation.
0: 70%.
1: And 70%, yeah. Now, the flip side is that in order for a team to be functional, for a business to be functional, then debate and robust disagreement and all that sort of stuff is essential. But it's, it would then suggest that, you know, teams and businesses are limping along because mm-hmm. the majority of people are avoiding the conversation. And in fact, um, just recently uh, DDI did some research around frontline um, leader development and they said that the number one weakness according to senior leaders is frontline managers who are who just they don't know how to do difficult conversations. And when you've got frontline managers who represent over fifty percent of management in an organization and look after eighty percent of of employees, and it's not getting yeah, addressed. That's not right. I- yeah, so hence my interest.
0: <laughs> and so I feel like we might need to do another episode, another time to just dive <laughs> deep into that technique. Yeah. So rather than going into the technique, what would mm. be the one thing that a person who is avoiding a difficult conversation, what would you like, how would you like them to think differently about that conversation?
1: So, So what I would suggest is that people are often thinking about one conversation that they're having. So they're thinking about the conversation that they need to have with a team member or a peer or their manager. But the reality is that there are two conversations that are going on. And so what often happens is people are thinking about the external conversation, but they're not thinking about the internal conversation that they have got going on. And my invitation before people go into the external conversation is to stop and do a check in terms of what's the story you're telling yourself. And the story they're telling themselves is their story, but it's not necessarily the story. So it's just, again, that, that piece which just gives people that pause mm. before they go in all guns blazing uh, to go, hang on a minute, let me just do a check. And if I just have my perspective but appreciate that there's another perspective and I have that as my filter, my lens, then it can shift the
0: quality of the
1: conversation.
0: That's very, very, very powerful. Very powerful.
1: It can save a lot of relationships and improve a lot of
0: relationships
1: too. Yeah. Yeah. What's -hmm.
0: the story I'm telling myself? Yeah, yeah. I'm aware of time, but I am going to ask you two more questions because – this, I mean, you're you're obviously a masterful facilitator. You've been doing this for years. And for those listening, there is a big distinction in my world between um, a stand and deliver trainer and mm-hmm. a facilitator. And mm-hmm. it's very clear to me that Louise is a facilitator. She moves audiences from where they are now to where she wants them to be. Mm-hmm. And this question came up the other day in my in one of my Ask Me Anything calls in the cohort around how do you gauge how do you assess where your audience might be at so you can meet them there and then take them on the journey and the example that was given was um you know this gentleman who was asking me the question was has seen Alan Peace the body mm-hmm. language expert mm-hmm. many 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 times and so i downloaded all of the things that i know about um, calibrating and figuring out people's learning styles and all that kind of jazz. But as a master facilitator, Louise, how do you do it? How do you figure out where your audience is at mm. and then take them where you want them to go? So I love this
1: question uh, because, in my experience, it's not what happens in the session, in the room as such. Uh, it, that counts, but it's not where you do the calibration. Uh, my experience is that when I am facilitating a group like that, I, it's everything I do before I'm in that room. So it's the research, it's the diagnosis, it's the conversations that I have before I do um, that. So I want to understand what are the pain points, why why now, what's the issue, to to uncover like what's sitting below. Um, and also to understand the world what are the what are the pain points that that audience is going through because why would they bother listening to me standing up there and sprouting stuff because it's not the content as such it's making the content the context is the key thing yeah Yeah, every single time it's never
0: about the content
1: it's you know it's like we can all you know give the the context a content but the context is gold so I, in, in answer to that question, uh, and to your um, to your uh, um, uh, member in, in in your program, it's doing the um, the conversations with who who's important in that in that room. So the the leaders um, and what are the outcomes that they're wanting, and then I'll also do things like um, like a little mini diagnostic for participants to say tell me what's going on in your world, this, that, and the other, and I'll make it really easy for them to not have to sweat it out too much, but enough for them to download and get some stuff off their chest that gives me intel. And that is where then I use that to handle objections, position myself, understand their world so they go, oh, she really gets what's going on. And I'm like, yeah. Because you do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's right. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's such Mm -hmm. a good answer. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. So my final question is a question that I like to ask all of my guests, and that is, what is your number one speaking tip? Recognizing that people who listen to this, you know, they listen because they want greater speaking confidence. So yeah. what's your number one speaking tip?
1: So I'm going to share something that, uh, that I was, um, that was given to me by a really good uh, friend of mine, and she's an amazing facilitator. One of the things that I was challenged with for the longest time was this desire that I had to get it right. I had to sort of, you know, like absolutely execute, you know, and be like perfect in what I was facilitating. I don't know anybody like that. No, 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 no. Uh, and one of the things that she shared with me was to make mistakes, like to make, to, to and to share stories about things that I had stuffed up and, uh, you know, and mistakes. And, and this is the human part coming through again, like, you know, linking it back to that. And so my, my speaking tip is to be, um, to be flawsome, you know, in that sense, which is show your flaws, show that you, you know, you make make mistakes. Maybe you've, you know, like I, depending on my audience, I'll say, look, I'm, I know where you're at because I've, I've been where you are, but here I am now. And it's only because I've made these mistakes, and I and I and I will stuff up on purpose to show them. I go, oh, I stuff that up, and they go, and they laugh, and they go, oh, you know, she's normal, and so that becomes more relatable, and that's what connects in that in that part. I, I get that there are, I mean, I've seen amazing people, as you have as well, who are incredibly polished, they're finessed, they're performers, that they, it's just, it's like, wow, you know. Um, and that's great. I think it depends on what the, the speaking context is. But the more that you can show your humanness, the more that you're relatable and people want to hear that.
0: <laughs> I love that. I actually did an episode recently um, about the distinctions between picture, performer and presenter. Mm-hmm. And it was that that notion of I'd watched a performer really do a masterful job mm. But they were an entertainer. They, mm-hmm. Their job wasn't to connect. Their job wasn't to move. Their job was to get enough entertainment to make the sales at the end of the night, not yeah. to shift a room over the course of a leadership conversation or out, you know. And there is yeah. a massive distinction. And, yeah, I love that idea of being yeah. flawsome. I can be mm. flawsome. Man, I'm flo- I,
1: I, I I am aiming to be a gold medal medalist and being <laughs> flawsome. That's that's my thing.
0: <laughs> I like it. All right. Well we'll set up the competition so we can yeah, both yeah. stand on the dais of yeah, and be flawsome. We can share it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Louise, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a gorgeous conversation. Thank you.
1: I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> it's been my pleasure. I'll um see you next time. Yeah, for sure. How good was that? Oh my goodness. I really will have to get Louise back on to go deeper into her difficult conversations methodology. But I really want to pull out a couple of key points. That human acronym Gold, being heard, be understood, being motivated, being appreciated, and being noticed. Such a powerful acronym and I mean, I'm I'm thinking about that just in the course of my subcontractors, of my community. It's not just about leadership. It's, it's how do you just acknowledge the human? How do you speak human? How do you connect with the humans in your life? So that is such a beautiful acronym. The other thing that I really want to call out, of course, and regular listeners aren't going to be surprised by this, is that importance of the authenticity, the importance of not leaving the humanness at the door of whatever it is that you're walking into. In Louisa's context, it's her clients who are walking into the ivory tower offices and leaving their humanness at the door. In mine, it's when you leave your humanness at the door before you speak, before you do a reel, before you deliver a presentation, before you go live. So yeah, the importance of that authenticity. I'd love to know what you thought of this week's episode. I'd love to engage in a conversation around how do you speak human? How do you speak human with the people in your life? So head over to the Speaking with Confidence Facebook group. That's Speaking with Confidence with Kat Matson. exactly the same title as this podcast. Head over to the Facebook group and just start a new post. Let me know how do you speak human to the people in your world? And if you don't already receive my speaker's notes every week, my weekly speaker's notes email, then I highly recommend that you do that because there's always juice in there and it's where I'm letting people know about sneaky things that are coming up like webinars or courses or whatnot. So just head over to impactfulpresenters.com and you will see the opportunity to get a copy of my ebook, How to Stop Rambling. Once you do that, then you are on the weekly speaker's notes email list. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And in the meantime, here's to confidence and here's to impact. I'll see you soon.